listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. In some countries around the world, the way that you catch a monkey is you <laughs> dig a hole in the ground, you put something in there that the monkey may enjoy, whether it's some seeds or some nuts or fruit, something like that, but you make it so the hole is just big enough for the monkey to get his hand through, but not to pull his hand back out once he's made a fist. And so we, we, we saw that some in, in Africa, we see it in South America and some Asian countries. That's the way that you catch that monkey, but think about it from the monkey's perspective for just a minute. If you would just let go of whatever is inside of that hole or whatever is inside of that trap, inside of that bottle or inside of that jar, then you would be free. You would think that the monkey would say, oh, well, I got my hand in here. It'll come back out. He doesn't think that because he thinks, man, whatever is in here, even though I can't see it, is so valuable. Somebody else, they put it in here for a reason. They told me it was valuable, so I'm going to hang on to that, even to the point of death. We see here this morning, and Chris just read this for us, but in Luke chapter 15, we've been walking through the book of Luke for a matter of months now. We started back in late August, early September, and we see here a story of two different sons, and we see they went very different paths, different directions, but the heart of them is the same. For each of them, their heart is to hang on to something so tightly, even to the point of death, if they would but let go then they would find life, and they would find freedom, the freedom that we just sang about. So this morning, we all fall into one of these two categories. Just so you know, Jesus is primarily talking to the religious folks. So as we talk about the, the, the prodigal, the younger, the wayward son, we can say, man, that, that person's terrible. Just so you know, that's what the older brother was saying. So let's repeat these words after me. This comes from Psalm chapter 119. May this be our prayer this morning. Open my eyes that I might receive God's wonderful word to me. Amen. So we pick up in Luke chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 11. Friday night we looked at verses 1 through 10, and this is all the continuation of the same story. Friday night we saw how there was a shepherd who lost a sheep, then there was a lady who lost a coin. This morning we see that this the value is growing. So it was one out of 100, just 1% of this man's wealth, and then one out of 10 was the woman's wealth that she lost with a coin. Today, there's two sons. One of them is missing. 50% of this man's children, he loses. So we pick up in verse number 11, and we just saw this. But what I want us to see in this first act, if you will, this first section, is we see the reckless rebellion of the younger son. The reckless rebellion of the younger son. It says here, the, the younger son goes to his father. And he says, Dad, I, I want my inheritance now. Here's what the son was saying. I, I want what's yours, what I'm going to get after you die. Essentially, he's saying, I wish you were dead. Because younger sons didn't do this. This was uncalled for. This was incredibly disrespectful. He says, Dad, I wish you were dead. 
And it says here, uh, the father goes and he splits the property between them. That word property right there is actually in the Greek, the word bios, which means life, bio, biology, the study of living things. And so literally the man takes his life and it was like he was, it was torn from him. So the younger son would get one third of the father's inheritance and the older son would get two thirds. That's just the way that it went down in the Old Testament. Praise God, I'm the older son. So I'd be getting two thirds of my father's debt. And so the younger son says here, uh, I want what's mine. I don't believe in delayed gratification. I want to be satisfied right now. Then verse 13, not many, day, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now picture this, the son goes to his father and the father says, here, son, I'll give you what you want. I'll graciously give you this. And the son takes the stuff. Thanks, dad. He begins walking away. And I imagine the father is standing there watching his son walk away. This son that he's invested in, that he's loved his entire life. And he's thinking, is this for real? Is the son actually walking away from me? His father? And he's sitting there weeping as the son walks. And he's thinking, is he just going to turn around and give me a wave? Is he going to give me a glance? And the younger son keeps going all the way into reckless living. It says he goes into a far country. It's where he can live in darkness and where nobody can know him. He can have no accountability. It's like one of those spring break videos from back in the 90s, right? You have this big party and uh, everybody's hanging out and then the camera crew from MTV comes around and they take a picture and everybody's like, whoa, my parents, are, they never, they're never going to know this. But then the parents, somebody's like, hey, did you see your son on MTV? Do you know what he's doing? Hey, did you see your daughter? You know? And now we see this with the kiss cam videos. Uh, like if you're at a sporting event, be careful. Uh, because you know, some folks get on kiss cam, they're like, oh yeah, smoochy smooch. But every now and then you see a video and it's like, hey, you're supposed to be kissing right now. It's like, oh no, I'm here with my mistress. <laughs> or I'm here with somebody I'm not supposed to be here with. You see that? And then somebody just looks down. That kind of thing. This guy wants anonymity. He doesn't want anybody to know about where he is. So he takes his inheritance and he goes to a far country. We pick up and look at verse number 15. So he went out and hired himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. Now, no Jewish boy would be keeping pigs in a field. This young man has lost his cultural and his religious identity. Sin is a story of riches to rags. He's lost everything that he held dear. That, that word right there, it says that he hired himself out, literally means that you're binding yourself to something, that you're gluing yourself to something. He says he had to become attached so tightly to the culture just to survive. He has reached rock bottom of the grave that he has dug for himself. It's about as bad as it can get. So we, this is the picture of the reckless rebellion of the younger son. Act number two, we pick up in verse number 17. We see that the relationship is restored to the father. The relationship is restored to the father. This is beautiful. So he's sitting there. We saw back in verse number 16, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Destitute, empty. But verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's servants, hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. It, literally that word right there when it says, but he came to is the same word that means he was brought back to life. It means that he was resuscitated. 
It doesn't just mean, huh, I'm sitting here thinking of all my options. No, he found himself on the brink of death. And spiritually, he was dead. His great hope here, his only hope, verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. His only hope is that of being a servant. It's no longer of being a son. That's how sinful he is. That's how far he's fallen. And just so you know, he's right. According to Old Testament law that they would be sitting under, this man deserved to be beaten. He had disowned his father. He had disavowed his family. He really didn't even deserve to be made a servant. But he goes back to his father. He's broke. He has to walk. He's a beggar. He comes with nothing in his hands. And here's what the young man asks for. He asks for justice. He wants to receive what he deserves. He asks for justice. He's hoping that his father will have a little bit of religion for him. He's hoping that his father, that he can earn back the love of his father. That's what religion tells us. If you act good enough, if you do enough good stuff, then I'll love you. He's hoping that his father, that he can pay penance back to his father. Because penance says this, I want to go from these pig pods back to the food of servants. I want to go from working with pigs to just serving you. That's it. Let me just pay some of this back. Let me just work really hard for you, Father. Penance feels like death. But that's what he's hoping for, this younger son. But notice in verse number 20, here's where the hope steps in. Then he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt what? Compassion. Not justice. He feels compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. This father has been waiting to see him, and he runs to him. The only time that a grown man runs is if he's just committed a crime or if his wife wants to talk about her emotions. Like, that's it. So we see this grown man here. He hikes up his, his robe, which was shameful to him. He hikes that up and runs to his son and kisses him. Notice what the, what the son says here. He says, Father, verse 21, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So the son has practiced the speech all the way back from the far country. He works it up just right. He presents it to his father. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. So we see here this picture, this, this prodigal, this wayward son, this rebellious son comes home. He's like, man, if I can, if I can just serve you for the rest of my life, I messed up. I, I know I, I came to my senses. I'm good now. But the father responds with compassion, with tenderness, with this embrace. He clothes him. He hugs him. He kisses him. The, the son walks up and says, father, let me practice this penance speech that I prepared. And before he can even finish his speech, his father says, welcome to the family. This robe that he puts on him. He says, bring the best robe. That would be the father's robe. He's saying, clothe him in my robe. He says, uh, bring a ring for him. In other words, it means, hey, this is the family credit card. You're back in the family. You, you have riches. You've got the, 
Um, what's the one we have, babe? The uh, black uh, uh, MasterCard, the unlimited. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you have unlimited wealth. This is yours. Here's your company car. This, it's not, hey, let's, let's wait. No, he, he gives them shoes. In this day, slaves did not wear shoes. Only free people wore shoes. The father doesn't say, you know what? You come back in and serve me for a little bit. Once you earn my love, then we'll go shoe shopping. He says, no, here you go. Here's shoes. The father goes even further than that. The father spends even more money on him. The son's already wasted one-third of the father's inheritance. So now we have this two-thirds over here of the father's wealth, and he begins chipping into that. The father then hires um, an event coordinator to plan a party. He hires a band. He has a barbecue. He throws on the fattened calf, which is only a once-in-a-lifetime event. We're like, oh, yeah, go, go, get, go get some cheeseburgers. Let me, let me do some smash burgers. No, this is a fattened calf. Is like, I mean, this is a huge deal. Once in a lifetime does this occur. I want you to think, as you, as you picture the, the father from the first act watching as the son walks away, Imagine here what the son must feel. What would you feel if you had done that, if you had rebelled so hard? And then you came back, and the father says, welcome. You're here. It's time to celebrate. What must the son be feeling in this moment? He shows up empty-handed. And guess what? Did he ask for any of this? What did he ask for? He asks for justice. What does he get? Mercy. He does not get punishment. He asks to make penance. Let me pay for this. But instead, what does he do? He gets repentance, which is life. He gets the grace here of the Father. He is restored. In other words, he, the Father doesn't say, you can earn back my love. Hey, wife. Since you, you know, I know we have this little kind of tip going on, but you can earn back my love. Hey, husband, you weren't really listening to me well, but if you do enough good things, if you do the dishes, if you wash the kids, you can earn back my love. Is that the love of the father? Hey, I, I, know, I know you're new here, and, and I know you maybe you said all the right things, you have all the right answers. We'll, we'll kind of wait. We'll take some time on, you know, let's see. You say you want to follow Jesus? Oh, whoa there. I don't know. Is that what the father does? Or does he say, welcome to the family? My grace is sufficient for you. So notice here the attitude of the son. He's gone from pig slop to steak and baked potato. He's gone from death to life, from hopelessness to joy because of the good grace of the father. The relationship is stored, be restored because of the father. Then the third act here. It'd be really cool if the story ended there, but it doesn't. It'd be really cool for us. Here's where we come in. Verse number 28. Now, sorry, verse 25. So the father is there celebrating with his son. The older son was out in the field. He heard about it. He draws near to the house. He heard loud music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked, what, he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, the servant says to the older brother, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Here's what we see about the older brother. Here's the religious refusal of the older brother. The younger brother rebels. The older father restores. The older brother 
Did I say older first? The younger brother rebels. The father restores. The older brother is still refusing to come inside. Verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. Now his father came out and entreated him. In other words, he begged with him to come in. The son doesn't have a place for grace in his vernacular. The word grace doesn't show up in this older brother's dictionary. It just, it just ain't right. It's like, it's like going to a steakhouse and ordering a hot dog. Even if it's real good for a hot dog, it's still a hot dog. It just doesn't make sense. The older brother says, man, I deserve your love and your grace and your mercy. I deserve these things because of what I've done. He doesn't understand his need. For some of us, we can understand this older son's indignation. We can understand how he's upset. Honestly, it makes sense. Because if you do all the right stuff, all the good stuff, don't you deserve all the right stuff? Don't you deserve good? Now we can say, oh, thank you, God. Thank you so much. I mean, but I did do the right stuff. I, I have obeyed you for all of these years. So I'm thankful, but aren't you proud of me for doing this? This is a result of me doing the right thing. Look at what he says. And he answered his father. After his father is out here begging with him and treating him to come in, he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this, notice what he says, son of yours came, who had devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. The son says, Literally, that word right there, that phrase, I have served you, that's the word in Greek, doulos. Everybody say doulos. That, that's the word that means uh, a, a servant. It means I have become your slave. The, the relationship that this older son has with the father is not one of love and intimacy, but it's one of servitude. It's simply one of obedience to earn his favor. In the older brother's eyes, his father is his master. Can I just tell you, friends, what, what an incredibly boring, tedious, lifeless, dead relationship that you must have if your life looks moral, but it is devoid of an intimate relationship with creator God. Because the father says, now you get me. The younger son and the older son, what did they want? They wanted what the father had, not a relationship with the father himself. Twelve times we see the word father in this passage. It points to the grace and the goodness of the father. And the son says, no, don't you understand? I feel like I've earned these things. But in verse number 30, he has there continued his tirade. He says, but this son of yours... In other words, now he's doing what the younger son did. He's disavowing himself from the family. He's saying, look at y'all. What's wrong with y'all? He took all this property and money and he squandered it. This older brother cares more about money than he does about this relationship. If the son had just brought the money back and the property, then we'd be okay. But he didn't. All we get is the son. All I get is my brother. Man, that's terrible. Essentially, the older brother is wishing his father dead as well. He's upset that now this two-thirds of his wealth that's over here, now we're eating into the older brother's money. And he's earned all of that. That's his. A commentator I was reading this past week, 
He said that some sinners smell of the hog pen and other sinners smell of the church pew. But the good news of this passage is that Jesus Christ wants to save them both. And that's why the father goes out and entreats him. He comes in and he doesn't say, no, 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 the, the son of mine has come back home because the older brother said, your son. The father comes out, notice what he says. In verse number 31, he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad for this. Who? Your brother. Your brother is dead. You are both my children. You are both with me. You're both in need. You both need salvation. You both need grace. He is alive. He is lost. And now he is found. In other words, the kingdom is here. And we've heard this all throughout Luke. Jesus has said, the kingdom of God is here. And the Father here is saying, won't you please come join the party? Stop sitting on the outside and judging it. There are five truths that I want us to see in this passage as we walk away this morning. The first one is this is that there are two ways to be separated from God. There are two ways. The, the first one is by going to the far country, and the second one is living near to the house of religion. It, maybe this morning you look at your life, and you look around, and you're like, man, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how. I feel like I'm in the far country. And maybe nobody knows about it, by the way. Maybe your sin is still there in the darkness. Maybe folks don't understand what you're dealing with, but you look around and you're like, man, I'm dealing with this addiction or with pornography or with alcoholism or materialism or I'm looking for this thrill. I don't know. Maybe you can identify with that younger son. Can I tell you this morning, friend, that even though you find yourself there in the trough of this pigsty, you can find greater joy in Christ and whatever you think you're going to lose in that trough, Jesus Christ is much better. So turn to him. Secondly, maybe you're like the older brother, and you're sitting here dealing with pride. You don't understand your need. You don't understand your brokenness. You don't understand your desperation. You don't understand that you are a whitewashed tomb. You look good on the outside, but inside you're dead. Both of these here this morning, they need grace. You need Jesus. There are two ways of avoiding that grace, of being separated from him. There's no middle option. There's no third. Well, can I live a different way and still earn? And still no, no, these are the two options. Without him, you're hopeless and you're dead. Secondly, the only shame that we see in the story is when the father runs. The only shame that we see in the story is when the father runs. And here's the good news of Jesus Christ, is that on the cross, Jesus took your shame, your guilt, the wrath of God on himself as he was running after you and chasing you down. Amen? That's good news for us this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says that Christ became sin so that we could become his righteousness. Jesus Christ takes his righteousness and he clothes us in it. He loves us. He provides for us joy and blessedness and peace and access and availability. He says that we are sons of the Most High God. This is incredible. We have the authority to overcome sin in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we've been placed in the highest of heavenlies with Jesus Christ. And so you, friend, this morning, through the indwelling work of the Spirit, if you are his, you don't have to fall 
to the schemes of the evil one anymore. You are not under the hand of the enemy. No, you are free. Live in that freedom. You have the ability to love your family well. You have the ability to lead your family. You have the ability to love on your neighbors, on your community. You have the ability to love others because of the way that the Trinity has loved you. He removes our sin. He removes our shame. Back in verse number 13, we actually saw this word reckless. Because if you look through here, we actually never see the word prodigal. And you're like, isn't this the story of the prodigal son? Some folks call this the greatest story that's ever been written. I think Charles Dickens actually said that. He said, this is the greatest story that's ever been written. But we never see the word prodigal. But you know where that word prodigal comes from? If you look back in verse number 13, he squandered his property in reckless living. That word reckless, it can be translated to mean prodigal. But prodigal does not mean someone who runs away. Prodigal means that you spend and you spend and you spend until you have nothing left. But you know what the opposite of reckless is? It means to reckon. It means to reckon. Reckon means you're going to call to account someone's debt. You're going to call that debt to account. So when we look at this story, we have to ask, okay, so we have this reckless younger brother, then the father... He still heaps love and grace on him. He forgives him and welcomes him back in. So where is the debt paid? Because you can't live recklessly without at some point coming to reckon the account. For the theology uh, nerds in the room, you're like, yeah, substitutionary atonement. Where do we see that? And if you're not that way, just the simple question you're asking is, how is sin paid for? In this, if we have this younger brother and the older brother, by the way, how is this sin paid for? Because the younger brother can only be brought back into the family at the demise and the destruction of the older brother's two-thirds of wealth. It's going to cost the older brother something for the younger brother to be brought back in. You know, I mean, hold on. Wait a second. I, I really don't want to be the older brother now. Because look at all these good things that I've done. I don't want my, my two-thirds, I don't want that to be uh, debited from. I want more and more. But notice, it's not the older brothers yet. It's still the fathers. It's still the fathers. And so lest you look at your life and say, look at all my obedience. Look at my two-thirds. I've got this. I'm good, Jesus, right? Look at all these good things I've done. I know the right stuff. I've said the right stuff. I said the prayer. I made a decision. Jesus says, no, no. That is that this still mine. It's still by my grace that you have found salvation. Because, friends, forgiveness is never free. The Father doesn't just say, oh, yeah, here's all this stuff. That money has to come from somewhere. And the same is true for us. Forgiveness is not free. If you walk into my house, this is a Tim Keller illustration, but if you walk into my house and my wife has a $100 lamp sitting in the corner and you knock that lamp over and you break it, I can say, I forgive you. That doesn't mean the lamp is now magically put back together. That forgiveness cost me something. It cost me that lamp. It cost me $100. That's reckless of me. I'm giving to the point of a deficit. Or I can reckon with you and say, you know what? I'm not going to forgive you. You're going to pay for that lamp. You give me $100. Those are the options. It's either forgiveness, I cover the cost, or me saying, no, you're going to pay for this. Justice 
this is what you deserve. But notice what the father does. He brings this younger son back in, and he forgives him. He takes his wealth, and he lavishes it on him. So lest we think that the younger son is the one who is reckless, that word reckless right there, if anything, points to the love and the grace and the mercy of the father. Jesus Christ climbed up on the cross. He took the shame, the wrath, the guilt for both the Pharisee and the prostitute. He took it for the one who is rebellious and the religious, for the older son and the younger son. And he says, come to me, have faith in me. He doesn't say, have the strongest faith, have the biggest faith, have the most perfect faith in the world. If you have a little bit of faith or a gigantic amount of faith, it does not matter. It is the source and the root of that faith. If it is in Christ and in him alone, you are his. You have life. So the father goes into his deficit. The son dies. His death is what gives us access to life. There's nothing better than that. What that means for us is that Jesus is actually the better older brother. Because Jesus is the one who says, man, here's my inheritance. Here's my worth, my value from the Father. I'm going to go and to lay this down for the sake of you, you reckless. So lest you think this morning, lest I think, dog, lest I think that I can earn God's favor, just know that I can't. Because I can't be Jesus. He's the better older brother. He goes and he pursues the younger, wayward, reckless brother. So we look to him. The third thing that we see here in this passage is that a kingdom of former rebels displays the glorious riches of grace. And we've been called into this kingdom, and it displays the gracious nature of God. You see, the turning point in all three of these parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then this lost son, the turning point is when they're found. It's when they're found. So how much more joy and celebration when one who is created in the image of God is found? So much more so than even a sheep or a coin. He says, here, you have been found. You've been made in his image. If you look back at verse 24, you see this at the end of act number two, and it says the same thing in verse number 32. It says, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And then they began to celebrate. So friends, this lostness was not just a misplacement. The lostness was not a misplacement. It was a pronouncement of death. It was a pronouncement. So this son, he's saying he was dead but now he's alive. What do we call this? Resurrection. He's saying, my son has been dead and now he is alive. He was dead in his trespasses and sin. And now he is made alive to walk in unity with Christ. He's alive in Jesus Christ. Then the father dresses his son, not as a corpse getting ready for a funeral, but he dresses his son in a way that he's getting ready for a party, for a celebration. We celebrate this morning Jesus Christ moving from death to life, but the offer is here for us as well. He tells the younger brother, he says, celebrate, you've moved from death to life. He tells the older brother, the religious who has everything figured out, he says, come into the party. If you stay outside the party, you will experience my wrath. The only option is to turn to Jesus, to find life in him from death. The fourth thing that we see here is that followers of Jesus are marked by loving the same things as the Father. 
followers of Jesus. And if I took a poll, the majority of folks in here would probably raise their hands and say, yeah, that's me. That's me. So how do we know? Here's the question for us then. If we say this, if we say that we are followers of Jesus, how do we know that restoration is real in our lives? Because many times, if you're like me, you lay in bed, you're like, man, if I die tonight, I'm actually going to heaven? Driving down the road, down, man, if I get in a wreck, am I going to heaven? How do I know that I've been restored to the Father? How do you know that restoration is real in your life? Because as followers of Christ, we are celebrating the grace of God. Are you celebrating the grace of God in your life and in the lives around you? Is it evident? In your life, what is being enjoyed the most? Is it the mercy of God or is it your good work as an older son? What's being celebrated most? Are you celebrating the resolve, the resolve of your hypocrisy? Or are you celebrating the riches of heaven? You see, a religious person doesn't join the party, but they judge the party. A religious person doesn't identify with someone's brokenness, but they want to know, ah, what about this person's beliefs? As a church, South Point, we are going to be a church that celebrates, that doesn't engage in comparison. Because here's what comparison does. Comparison says, who is more worthy of the cross? Who is more worthy of shame? Who is more worthy of judgment, me or you? That's what comparison does. But Jesus steps in and he takes that for all of us. He takes that for us. So turn to him, repent. Repent of what you've done well and repent of what you've done poorly. You're like, wait, but, but my good stuff. But like, if you are doing that for your own kingdom, then repent of that. Then repent of that. The last point, I want to close with this question. The story is left unended. We don't see here any resolution. The father simply tells the older brother, hey, come into the party. It's good. Your younger brother has come back. He's alive. And I would ask you this morning, what is keeping you from finding joy in the kingdom? To both. Maybe you're like, I identify more with the reckless younger brother. Some of you identify more with the religious older brother. What is keeping you from stepping into life, into joy in the kingdom? Is it fear? Is it tradition? Is it that you think your sin is too much? That you may have to lay down your life? What is keeping you from stepping into life in the kingdom? In southern Africa, there's actually a tribe. I talked about that story about monkeys and baboons at the beginning. Well, there's this tribe in, in southern Africa. Um, and what they do is they actually take termite hills. And if you've seen these termite hills, they're really tall. And what they do is that if, they, if they're looking for water, they will find a baboon somewhere near and they'll just kind of lure that baboon to this termite hill. And they'll dig a small hole and they'll put some, some seeds or something in that hill, knowing that the baboon is watching them. They put those things in there, then they go. Well, the baboon after, and baboons are relatively smart, also very mean animals. But once that tribesman has left, that baboon then goes over there to that hole, that termite hill, and puts his hand in because he's intrigued. He wants to, what is that person left in there? The same thing, he can't pull his hand back out. He gets trapped. But you know what the baboon eventually does? He either dies or he lets his hand 
go, and he pulls his hand out. And here's what the baboon always does. The baboon always goes to water because it's incredibly dry. It's dusty. It's a desert. The baboon wants to move to life. But in order for him to move to life, he has to let go of what he's holding on to. This morning, there are two options. It's either to let go of the things of this world and find life in Christ or keep holding on to that and experience a slow and painful spiritual death. Jesus Christ calls you to die in this life so that you can find life eternal with him. There is eternal life with Jesus Christ. He identified with us in life. He became a man. He lived perfectly. He perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament law for us. He climbed up on the cross that we deserve to die because of our sinfulness and brokenness. His body was broken. It was pierced. It was beaten. His beard was pulled out. He had a crown of thorns on his head. He was exposed. He was shamed. He took on the wrath of the Father for us so that when the Father looks at us, he can adopt us in and welcome us in and clothe us in his righteousness, in his blood. And to secure our eternity, Jesus Christ rose from the dead after three days of being in the tomb. So we celebrate that this morning, and I invite you to let go of this world, let go of whatever you're holding on to that you think is better than Jesus, and move from death to life. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me, if you will. Maybe you walked in here today not knowing how your story was going to end, how to make it better. You know this, you're missing something in your life. But today, friend, you can walk out of here with eternal hope. You can walk out of here with a significant purpose. You can walk out of here with forgiveness from the creator of the universe, from the Father. And the Father will receive you with joy. He, he celebrates over every single sinner. So my question for you this morning is, have you ever received the gift of Jesus that he offers to you? And if you have not, I, I would entreat you now to say a prayer that tells them that you want to receive the offering of his death for your life. Tell him that you surrender. Surrender means that you've been fighting Surrender is not just walking in and giving up. It means that you have been fighting a fight, but now you are relinquishing control and power. If you believe that Jesus Christ has taken the wrath on your behalf, he has paid that for your sin. He welcomes you into the family. But the second type of person here this morning is the believer. And I would ask you this morning, believer, has the, has the Holy Spirit exposed a part of your self-righteousness. I know he has in me, even as I'm standing here preaching this to you. But has there been a part of your self-righteous shame inside of your heart and your soul that has been touched? Because repentance leads to life. Repentance leads to celebration. Repentance leads to your joy. And repentance will lead to the revival of his church. So repent this morning. With your eyes closed, if you prayed to receive Jesus Christ this morning for the very first time, would you just slip your hand up and slip it right back down? 
Amen. And if you would say, Michael, I've, I can identify with the fact that I need to step back in to the Father's love. My trust and my faith are in him, but my life has not demonstrated that. I want to repent yet again. I want to repent. I want to experience his love in others around me. Would you just slip your hand up and slip it right back down? Amen. Church, you can open your eyes. We celebrate this meal this morning called communion. We have stations set up around the room. We have four of these. These are for those of us who have placed their faith and their hope in Christ and in him alone. We think that it is our rightness that gives us right and access, that we deserve his love. But he took the pain and the shame that we deserved so that he can offer us his love. And so we celebrate this meal this morning. There are pieces of bread that are broken so that we can be made whole. We dip that in juice that represents the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed so that we could be seen as righteous in his sight. This is a reminder that we have been restored to him that we have been brought from death to life. So as we do this, rejoice. Jesus' death has brought us life. Family, you're welcome to join me.